Mark and Rose are typical high school seniors. They are afraid to speak. They are aware of the cameras watching them in every room and on every street. And they are smart enough to walk away if anyone dares to discuss the place known only as the island. They know how to stay invisible. But on his way to school, Mark gets caught in the crossfire between two revolutionary gangs. And later that day, Rose's friend just disappears. When violence happens, Mark, who is destined for the NBA, knows the unspoken rule. Don't talk about it. You weren't there. It didn't happen. And when someone vanishes, Rose, who gets away with things she shouldn't, knows denial is the only way to survive. But each has reached a breaking point. Mark decides to smuggle his family out of the country and Rose will risk everything to get her friend back. The Forbidden Novel is the story of two people who live in a nation hell-bent on domination and control. Will they be crushed beneath the wheel, or will freedom strike back? Here is an excerpt from Chapter 1. Chapter 1, Under the Surface. The new boy seemed fake to Rose, as if he were playing a role like a professional actor. Even his appearance seemed calculated. Black hair and a sloppy buzz cut, probably done last week so that it would look like his parents made him get it. School-issued khakis and a red shirt, just a little too perfect, like he put them on before ironing out the creases from the package. Shoes that were popular four years ago, but looking like they came from storage. And his story that he transferred from DBE, the most violent school in the city? It sounded rehearsed. He's cute, Sophie elbowed Rose. When Rose's friend communicated with her, she did so in a combination of whispers, sign language, and their own personal code, which came from a lifetime of deceiving the authorities and knowing each other. Probably a narc, Rose singled back. Or a drug dealer, Sophie replied, or both. Rose motioned, place both sides. Right as Sophie laughed, Mrs. Stein stepped nearby, and Rose's phone pulsed in her pocket. Rose kept her face neutral, but she felt shades of pink. What have the two of you decided for your report? Mrs. Stein asked. She was 30, pretty, and for reasons Rose could never figure out, 40 pounds overweight. A beloved teacher, Mrs. Teresa Stein's moods rocketed between hilariousness and despair. And Frank, Sophie blurted. Mom, Rose thought, stop. Discreetly, Rose switched off her phone and felt the boy's eyes on her. But when she looked up, he appeared to be concentrating fully on his book and his note-taking. Mr. Dedicated, she thought. Rose knew when she was being watched, especially by a pro. What are you writing about me, she wondered. And Frank, Mrs. Stein asked, yes. Rose looked at Sophie, who nodded solemnly. And Frank it is. The boy wrote quickly. As Mrs. Stein quizzed them about the details, Rose's phone pulsed again. But this time, it was Dad. Rose brushed a pencil off of her desk, leaned to pick it up, shut off her phone, and caught the boy glancing down her shirt. Or had he? When she glanced back, he was buried in his notepad. He takes more notes than anyone I've ever seen, she thought. Mrs. Stein's World War II class was fascinating, but not challenging. 
What was he always writing? The new boy also attended her math class, in which he did the same thing. I want to see his notebook. Okay, but I have to warn you, that's a really depressing story. Mrs. Stein's eyes poured out empathy. She was only 13, and she had to live in an attic. Imagine hiding in a crowded, dusty, leaking prison for two years, all while listening for the knock on the door at the wrong time of day, all the while hearing rumors that your friends are disappearing, stolen off the streets, and not coming back. The ruler says they're being relocated to a new modern city. It is everything. It's luxurious, everyone says, because that's what the media says. People like you are receiving special treatment. Rose and Sophie nodded solemnly. They both loved Mrs. Stein. She helped Rose all the way through last year, which was the worst year of her life. And Rose was fascinated by the stories of ordinary people of World War II. She knew Anne Frank was a tender-hearted girl who was gassed to death at the age of 13. I read this, Sophie exclaimed. The authorities actually wanted to make the Germans angry at the Jews, so they told them that the Jews would receive the best housing, rich foods, and do rewarding work. They'd have the best classes, arts, music, sports, massage. When Rose's phone shook for the third time, she let the distress show in her face. Mrs. Stein? She made herself go pink, and she stood. May I run to the restroom? They shared that woman-to-woman glance. I can go with her. Sophie's Sophie shot to her feet opportunistically. Rose felt a dozen girls' eyes on them, and every boy avoided looking at them, except one. Mrs. Stein nodded, and Rose and Sophie hurried out of the room. They passed the school's police officer, who was leading three unfamiliar adults in suits and two German shepherds down the hall. Both Rose and Sophie knew what to do, make eye contact briefly. Pretend the visitors were normal and ignore the dogs, the guns, and their body cameras. They passed the restroom and instead veered into a tiny hallway with no cameras. They opened a door and dashed into the theater room, which was empty. If they skirted along the wall, they knew the room's surveillance was poorly set up. They'd never be spotted. And they did so. Rose retrieved a key she swiped, duplicated, and returned. As they did so, Rose retrieved a key that she'd swiped, duplicated, and returned, and she unlocked the prop room, and they stepped inside. Sophie looked at her searchingly. Rose displayed her phone. She turned on the signal jammer as they both scrutinized the prop room for anything different. Listening devices would be impossible to spot, but they might see unusual shoe prints on the dusty floor or obvious patterns of the authorities finding a place to hide surveillance equipment. But if they're really good, Rose thought, the authorities won't leave any signs. We'd have to trust, we have to trust that the signal jammer works. Clear, Sophie signaled. Rose unlocked her phone twice. Behind the start screen, there lay a second gateway to an illegal app. Rose pressed the one that looked the least interesting. It appeared to be a game where you opened up one dial only to find another and another and another inside. She'd nicknamed it Dolls with Layers. Created in an enemy nation, Layers did not look like the same app on any two phones. Mom's hands appeared, but not the rest of her. For communication, she had removed her wedding ring. Nothing identifying, Rose thought. Rose, 
Let me know immediately that you are okay, Mom's finger signaled. Rose and Sophie signed. They played the video slowly so they could read all the hand signals. There was a shootout in Eastgate, Mom continued, fingers talking. Thirteen people are dead. They are diverting traffic around Eastgate until further notice. They aren't letting the media know, and they are suppressing all private communications. Your mom is so paranoid, Sophie whispered. She doesn't even want them to hear her voice. She needs to trust this app, Rose whispered. Dad does. Rose pressed her screen to transmit that she, Sophie, and the whole school were safe. Just the usual police dogs, strangers in tailored suits with guns, and creepy new kids who pretend not to be watching us, Sophie whispered. Rose laughed. But they stopped laughing when Rose's dad texted again for the third time in 10 minutes. As she started to reply, he called her instead. Rose and Sophie stood on their tiptoes. Rose wanted to scream. Daddy, she said calmly, are you safe to talk? He was in his police uniform. Behind him, paramedics were hauling out bloody people on stretchers. The girls forgot to breathe. Yes, nothing's happening here. Are you okay? Yes, he said. Did you call your mother? I was about to. Tell her not to worry, Rose said. While in the background, Dad's CO, another former SEAL, whom she had known her whole life, was yelling something. Yet another SEAL, Dad's friend, Jack Gredden, waved at her through the screen, then disappeared. Abruptly, a wailing siren died out. What happened? Two paramilitaries decided today was a good day for a street battle, he said. She watched the screen as her father carefully showed her where he was, in a bar with broken picture window. The shards glinted red, and Rose suddenly felt afraid. Is that blood? She wished that he would, and also wished that he wouldn't show her what was on the street. Corpses? she wondered. They're going to try hard to keep anything from getting out. The first official story will be that nothing happened, Dad said. Listen, this doesn't matter. Your mother just wants you to be extra alert today. I will, Daddy. To anything. I will. If anything happens, I want you running out of that school. Rose was silent. I mean it, Rose. Don't try to save anyone. She did her best to keep her face neutral and to not look at Sophie for reinforcement. Rose? I'm not leaving people behind, Dad. Rose, you make sure that you're okay first. What about Hans? He's on the opposite side of the school. Your brother knows what to do. We've gone over the map together. You, Hans, and I have identified every exit, every secure room. The school had a shockingly high number of hidden steel vaults built in case of attack. They were built during the fracturing era, but most students, and even most of the teachers, didn't know about them. The vaults were illegal. The map Rose's father had was also illegal. Dad sharing it was illegal. Through the police department, Dad had acquired the map and the combinations to the unknown vaults, which he made Rose and Hans memorize. Then he destroyed the police records. What if I have a clear shot? I don't care, Rose. You run. What if there's only one of them? There's never just one of them, Dad said. Dad, why did you train me if... Abruptly, a man in the background started screaming, Oh, 
Oh my God, oh God. And a woman shrieked. Sophie absorbed her fear, started shaking, and Rose could tell the blood on the walls, like a child had flung paint, was getting to her. I have to go, said Dad. What happened here? What happened? The woman wailed as the man stirred her away. I love you, Rose said. You escape, Dad said, and clicked off the call. Sophie was trembling. Do you think more than 13 died? He didn't say, Rose said, but she thought, yes. Did you see those people on the stretchers and the paramedics? Sophie was clutching onto Rose now. Rose felt like freaking out herself because one victim had been convulsing and the paramedics were splattered with blood. Oh my God, Sophie was trembling. Rose hugged her. Let me call my mom, Rose said. She hoped that would calm Sophie down. This is horrible, Sophie whispered, shivering, shooting to her tiptoes. Rose tried to give her a reassuring look, but when mom answered, she looked both haggard and panicked. I love you, mom, Rose said. Rose, thank heaven. Mom looked beside herself. In the kitchen, Rose saw that her four-year-old sister, Inge, was mixing vegetables they had grown themselves. Nearby, in a pan, sat a chicken, freshly killed and cleaned. Her dangling hair touched her chin, and Inga lit up the moment she saw Rose. Why didn't you respond? Mom asked. I'm sorry, Rose said. You're in class. Mom nodded. She was talking to herself as much as Rose. Hi, Sophie. Hi. Rose could tell Sophie was trying to compose herself. They have strict bone rules, Mom recited. Which everyone breaks, said Sophie. Mom, I really didn't mean to scare you, Rose murmured. She couldn't take her eyes off of Inge, who was starting to sing to herself. I'm sorry I get so rattled, Mom said. I should trust that you'll be safe. Except her gaze was skittish, and Rose knew what Mom had said before. The school only has six armed guards. What if a paramilitary shows up? And that concludes this excerpt of the first chapter of the Forbidden Book. Thank you for listening.